Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 20th anniversary of the Devil's Mischief. And now, live from the Club Inferno Hotel, the Magister of Mischief himself, Bill M. Thank you, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everybody. That was Satan Bear with the introduction. Thank you, Satan Bear. The 10-inch tall, demonic teddy bear and executive producer of The Devil's Mischief. Thank you, Satan Bear. I've been holding off and holding off on celebrating 20 years of The Devil's Mischief, and I realized it's about time we don't wait for this any longer. The actual 20th anniversary of the show was back in the spring of 2023, but since then I've been busy buying a new house, moving, and all of that adult stuff. But uh, to be honest, another thing was uh, that was really bothering me was trying to figure out how to celebrate 20 years of this show. I decided I didn't want it to just be a one-off episode, so what I have decided to do is look at some of the selected past episodes of The Devil's Mischief, more than one episode, and some episodes that maybe haven't been played in years, maybe haven't been played in 10 years, maybe closer to 20 years. And I'm going to start with this episode, and probably for the rest of the year, there will be another thing celebrating 20 years of the Devil's Mischief, so I'll be pulling out some personal favorites, some episodes that were notably popular, or in some way I think kind of represent the Devil's Mischief. Also, in upcoming months, I plan on bringing back the Devil's Mischief grab bags. So, if some of you might remember, these are collections of mystery items. Each pack would include, you know, a comedy book, a comedy movie, maybe a comedy album, and some other gifts as well. I'll let you know when those are all ready for sale again. So, where on earth do you start to celebrate 20 years of episodes? I've decided to go back to how I celebrated the first year anniversary of The Devil's Mischief, and that was with The Best of Blasphemy, Volumes 1 and 2. Now, what on earth is that? Well, let me explain. When I started The Devil's Mischief, I knew that one thing I was going to play was comedy and novelty that bashed religion. It was not going to be the only thing I played, because first of all, you know, if that was the rule, I would run out of material after a few weeks. And second of all, as I've said many times, There's more to satanic comedy than just humorous blasphemy. It's good, but I don't know if I could take like six hours straight. I don't know. Maybe others can. In any case, I still maintain that comedy in and of itself is a satanic thing. Comedy is the precise opposite of piety and the sacred. Anton LaVey even wrote an essay or two about the topic. And so it's been basically upon that principle that I launched The Devil's Mischief 20 years ago. Having said all that, I still threw in some religion-bashing clips here and there on the show. That's something I would do. And when The Devil's Mischief approached episode number 50, this was back in 2004, I realized I had enough of the religion-bashing stuff from past episodes to make two full episodes of their own. And that's what I did. I called them The Best of Blasphemy Volumes 1 and 2, And after that, I would do the same thing. So every once in a great while, I had enough new clips of the religion-bashing stuff that I could extract from past episodes to make another Best of Blasphemy special. 
And to date, I think I have created 20 Best of Blasphemy episodes. A couple of them have not been aired yet, but have been recorded. So if you listen to this whole thing and say, oh my god, Bill, how could you not play this clip or this clip? Well, well, you know, chances are I didn't play it back in 2004, but I did play it on one of the later Devil's Mischief episodes. Unfortunately, in those earliest days of Radio Free Satan, back in 2004, or going all the way back to 2000 when we launched, for that matter, the internet technology wasn't what it is today, so a lot of people were still using dial-up modems, and it was all streaming, so to hear The Devil's Mischief and other Radio Free Satan shows, you had to get on your modem and tune in when they were airing. You had to tune into the live stream at the right times. And that also meant that the audio quality was pretty poor because uh, the bit rate had to be low enough to stream through a dial-up modem. So it was 32 kilobytes per second mono. So rather than just play you the original show recording, I'm going to play you the same exact tracks that I played in the Devil's Mischiefs episodes number 49 and 50 back in 2004. Slightly better quality than the original audio quality. And instead of doing them as two separate episodes, we're doing them right now together in one huge episode. Let us start now with what was not only track one of the Best of Bless Me, Volume 1, not only track one of Episode 49 of The Devil's Mischief, but also track one of Devil's Mischief, Episode number one. I knew I wanted to launch The Devil's Mischief 20 years ago with something short and religion bashing you know nice short and blasphemous and this is the track that i chose to begin the devil's mischief episode one from his 1999 magnum opus hbo special and album of the same title you are all diseased here is george carlin with his thoughts on the strange fad at that time of believing in angels here's another question i've been pondering what is all this shit about angels? Have you heard this? Three out of four people now believe in angels. What are you, fucking stupid? Huh? Has everybody lost their fucking mind in this country? Angel shit. You know what I think it is? I think it's a massive collective psychotic chemical flashback from all the drugs, all the drugs, smoked, swallowed, snorted, shot, and absorbed rectally, by all Americans from 1960 to 1990. 30 years of adulterated street drugs will get you some fucking angels, my friend. Angels. Angels, shit. What about goblins, huh? Doesn't anybody believe in goblins? You never hear about them, except on Halloween. Halloween, it's always negative shit, too. You ever notice that? And zombies. Where the fuck are all the zombies? That's the trouble with zombies. They're unreliable. I say if you're going to buy the angel bullshit, you might as well go for the zombie package as well. So this weird thing uh, happened. A true story. This is very strange. I live in Los Angeles now, and uh, I was reading in the paper about this woman who lives in Mexico, and on the third Sunday of every month, she goes out to the Mojave Desert. She has all these followers, and she goes out there, and sometimes the Virgin Mary appears to her. And... Uh, you know, and I read this and I thought, oh, this will be cool. This will be great to hang out, you know, and people watch and stuff. So 
Uh, I went down, this, I, and this is true, I went down, and she's uh, out there in the middle of the desert, and she's got these, uh, you know, flowing robes and everything, and uh, she's up on this platform, and she's facing out this way, and all these families are gathered, hundreds of people looking up at her, and uh, she's up there, she's waiting, make a long story short, it becomes clear that uh, the Virgin Mary isn't appearing today, you know? <laughs> I think she had to be on a tortilla somewhere. Um, so she's booked. All right. But anyway, so, so uh, she announces, you know, that uh, they're not coming, and then uh, uh, she's not coming. So everybody gets, you know, goes to leave. And I'm hanging out, uh, playing around in the desert. It's beautiful. And then everyone's gone. I'm by myself. And I go start walking back to my car, which is like 100 yards away. And, uh, and I, I don't get, I, maybe, I, maybe I get 10 feet. And, um, <laughs> and, um. The Virgin Mary uh, appeared before me, <laughs> and she raped me. <laughs> and it, it was terrible, and I was trying to get away, and I was running back to my car, and I had my pants turned around my ankles, and she kept making fun of me and, like, flicking me in the back of the ear. And, and so, and then I got in the car and I, I went to the cops, you know, and the cops were jerks, you know, and I told them what happened and they were, they were just like, well, what were you wearing, you know? I mean, you dress like that, it looks like you want it, you know? That muscle tee and those short shorts, I mean, she's a virgin, think about it. I am so excited to be here and, uh, and just to be alive and witness firsthand, to be here for the millennium, you know, and not have to read it. We're, I think that's, we're so privileged. We all get to be here, you know, alive, to see firsthand January 1st, 2000, you know, when, and listen to all those fundamentalist preachers having to do their backpedaling, you know, when, <laughs> when Armageddon doesn't occur, you know. You know, because for hundreds of years they've been talking about it. It's in Revelations. It's, it's in the book of Daniel. You know, they've, they've you know, used it for hundreds. And on that day, the book of Daniel says, God is telling us all signs pointing to that day Jesus Christ will descend from heaven on a diamond-studded chariot with chocolates and teddy bears for all the good Christians. And then, and, and... And the Jew and the Muslim and all the mud people will be hell on earth in a lake of fire and bile and piss. Because I'm going to piss on them. Hey, take that Jew! <laughs> and I'll take Christ's hand and go on up there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's not going to happen. Jesus isn't coming back. It's going to be great. You know, it was safe to do, like, you know, in the 50s and 60s. You know, that one was really far away, but <laughs> it's creeping up. <laughs> and I can't wait for the excuses, you know, and they're... <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, boy, I am just red-faced about this. It's, uh... I'm tickled, I'll tell you what. It's just funny. It's a funny story. <laughs> well... 
the funny thing is, I keep my Bible uh, in the den, okay, where my family uh, congregates and we pray. And, uh, and uh, apparently about 30 years ago, my youngest got in there, okay, because you know how kids love the Bible. And uh, <laughs> my youngest got in there and had peanut butter on her fingers and just had smudged over the bottom of a three. So it looked like a two. So it's my bad. Uh, so it's January 1st, 3000. I was off by one millennium, and there will be another thousand years of fundraising. God bless it. God bless it. All right. My Earthly Origins. As a petite baby goddess, I was cruelly forced to attend an all-girls punk rock school, St. Obnoxious in bondage. Now, I don't know if we had nuns or what, but they wore black leather and they told us the best thing to do for a non-Catholic was to knock him unconscious and then baptize him with your spit. In my family, we were not allowed to laugh in the living room. We had to wait until Sunday mass when the priest asked for money. Right, Pop. I really have a quarter for your Cadillac. Then, of course, I had to go to confession. And I would confess things that I did not do because I would listen to other trolls and their sins sounded a lot cooler. Once I said, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. The Franco-Prussian War was my fault. So then Father said, Judy, you're sick. You need a shrink. I said, Oh, right. I'm really going to pay some bozo 50 bucks an hour when I can talk to you for free in a closet. Oh no, I'm having a flashback. Last night, I was walking through the kitchen and I tripped over a corpse. I was going to report it to the cops and then I thought, hey, I live alone. Sometimes it's nice to have a man around the house. So I let him stay because he was quiet and stiff, stiff as a rod, stiff so that he could not be bent. I went to my petite bedroom. All of a sudden, this guy comes to my window. He has a ski mask and a bazooka. I'm thinking, hey, that's a nice switch from flowers and candy. So I let him in. It was our priest, Father Shanky McBlowfish. I said, Father, why did you disguise yourself? Why didn't you come as yourself, as a priest, as a man of the cloth? He said, Judy, I want your body. I said, oh, father. He's right over there, in the kitchen. I was over in Australia uh, during Easter, which was interesting. Interesting to note they celebrate Easter the same way we do, commemorating the death and resurrection of Jesus by telling our children a giant bunny rabbit <laughs> left chocolate eggs in the night. Now, I wonder why we're fucked up as a race. Anybody, anybody got any clues out there? Or where do you get this shit from, you know? Why those two things, you know? Why not goldfish left Lincoln Logs in your sock drawer, you know? As long as we're making shit up, go hog wild, you know? At least a goldfish with a Lincoln Log on its back going across your floor to your sock drawer has a miraculous connotation to it. 
Mummy, I woke up today and there was a Lincoln log in my sock drawer. That's the story of Jesus. <laughs> Who comes up with this shit? I've read the Bible. I can't find the word bunny or chocolate anywhere in that fucking book. Do y'all have different books of the Bible than I do? Are y'all Gideons? Who are the fucking Gideons? Ever met one? No. Ever seen one? No. But they're all over the fucking world putting Bibles in hotel rooms. Every hotel room. This Bible was placed here by a Gideon. When? I've been here all day. I ain't seen shit. I saw the housekeeper come and go. I saw the minibar guy come and go. I've never laid eyes on a fucking Gideon. What are they, ninjas? Where are they? Where are they from? Gidea? What the fuck are these people? I'm gonna capture a Gideon. I'm gonna make that my hobby. I am. I'm gonna call the front desk one day. Yeah, I don't seem to have a Bible in my room. My father was a very, very bright man. He graduated from high school, and then he was kicked out of college for a number of things. But he was very, very proud to be what he was. He said some brilliant things in his life, but he confused me because from age one to seven, because of my father, I thought my name was Jesus Christ. <laughs> when I come in the living room and trip and fall, and he said, Jesus Christ, can't you walk? piece of bread and the water glass would be in your way and just knock it over and Jesus Christ, clean the water up. So we moved from Stewart Street to the projects. <laughs> and the kids in the neighborhood said, what's your name? And I said, Jesus Christ. He said, your name ain't no Jesus Christ. I said, yes it is. Come on to my house. I brought 20 kids in the living room, man. My father, Jesus Christ. And then from age 7 to 15, I thought my father was a psychologist. Because he looked at me and said, are you crazy? <laughs> and on the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And it came to pass that all the wine was drunk. And the mother of Jesus said unto the Lord, they have no more wine. And Jesus said unto the servants, Fill six water pots with water. And they did so. 
And when the steward of the feast did taste of the water from the pots, it had become wine. And they knew not whence it had come. But the servants did know, and they applauded loudly in the kitchen. And they said unto the Lord, How the hell did you do that? And inquired of him, Do you do children's parties? And the Lord said, No. But the servants did press him, saying, Go on, give us another one. And so he brought forth a carrot and said, Behold this, for it is a carrot. And all about him knew that it was so, for it was orange with a green top. And he did place a large red cloth over the carrot and then removed it. And lo, he held in his hand a white rabbit. And all were amazed and said, this guy is really good. He should turn professional. And they brought him on a stretcher, a man who was sick of the palsy. And they cried unto him, Maestro, this man is sick of the palsy. And the Lord said, if I had to spend my whole life on a stretcher, I'd be pretty sick of the palsy too. And they were filled with joy and cried out, Lord, thy one-liners are as good as thy tricks. Thou art indeed an all-round family entertainer. And there came unto him a woman called Mary, who had seen the Lord and believed. And Jesus said unto her, Put on a tutu, and lie down in this box. And then took he forth a saw, and cleft her in twain. And there was much wailing and gnashing of teeth. But Jesus said, O ye of little faith. And he threw open the box, and lo, Mary was whole. And the crowd went absolutely bananas. And Jesus and Mary took a big bow. And he said unto her, From now on you shall be known as Sharon. For that is a good name for an assistant. And the people said, We've never seen anything like this. This is great. You must be the son of God. Here ends the lesson. Bill M. here with The Devil's Mischief, celebrating 20 years of carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers. We heard the tracks that started episode number 49 of The Devil's Mischief, a compilation of blasphemous clips from the first year of The Devil's Mischief. We heard George Carlin on Angels, also some comedy from David Cross, Judy Tenuta, the classic Bill Hicks routines on Easter and the Gideons, Bill Cosby, and finally, Rowan Atkinson. A lot of people only know Rowan Atkinson from his character Mr. Bean. Others may know him from shows like Black Adder. But yeah, in any case, he did stand-up comedy as well. Don't forget that The Devil's Mischief is just one of the shows that are brought to you through Radio Free Satan. Go to RadioFreeSatan.com to hear more. 
On the much more serious side, for example, we have shows like Vox Satane, the classical and orchestral radio show on Radio Free Satan. Again, visit RadioFreeSatan.com to hear that and hear other things as well. The next few tracks I put together here, uh, well, I put them together because apparently they all had something to do with church, more specifically. So let's hear a group of church-related tracks, starting with this track from Eddie Izzard. But nowadays, Church of England's kind of kind of a hobby-type religion, kind of, you know, hobby that Joseph might have had. Ooh, church of England in his spare time, I don't know. You know, a lot of people in Church of England have no muscles in their arms. Hello, hello. <laughs> Just sort of hang loose. Hello, how are you? Yes, come on in, come on in, how are you? No, you're the only person in the church today. Come on, sit down. <laughs> right, we'll now sing hymn 405, and please can you sing it in your dreary voice? Thank you very much. Oh God, oh, help it. I just passed. Uh, there's something incredibly dreary about Caucasian people in the Christian religion singing. You know, the only singing that is good in the Christian religion is, is that gospel singing, which is born out of kidnapping, murder, slavery, oppression, hellish inhuman existence, crimes against humanity. And, um, and they, they're singing joyous and wild, and Caucasian people with all the power and money in the world, enough to make Solomon revolve in his grave. And say, oh, God, oh, God must be upstairs going, what on earth is all that racket? Jesus. Jesus Christ, what is all that noise? Dad, don't take my name in vain. I'm not taking the name in vain. I, James Mason, who has God, I am... I just want to know what's going on. Jeezy Creasy, tell me what's going on. Dad, my name is not Jeezy Creasy. Don't call me that. Jeezy Creasy, I call you Jeezy Creasy if I wish to, because I am James the God Mason. Now, what's going on, Jeezy? Look, Dad, I went down there, told them to hang out, be groovy, drink a bit of wine. They split into different groups. Catholics, Protestants, Jesuits, Methodists, Evangelicals, Free Presbyterians, Locked Up Presbyterians, Quakers, Bakers, Candlestick Makers. Oh, and the Mormons are from Mars, Dad, we just found out. And, and what does the Holy Ghost think of all this? Holy Ghost is useless, Dad. He's got a sheet over his head. He's running around and he's half got. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, this is not an episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Holy Ghost going, God, I would have succeeded if it wasn't for those pesky God and Jesus fellas. Another big news story of the year concerned the ecumenical council in Rome known as Vatican II. <laughs> Among the things they did in an attempt to make the church more commercial was to introduce the vernacular into portions of the Mass to replace Latin and to widen somewhat the range of music permissible in the liturgy. But I feel that if they really want to sell the product in, uh, in this secular age, what they ought to do is to redo some of the liturgical music in popular song forms. I have a modest example here. It's called The Vatican Rag. First you get down on your knees Fiddle with your rosaries Bow your head with great respect And genuflect, genuflect, genuflect To 
whatever steps you want if you have cleared them with the pontiff everybody say his own Kyrie eleison doing the Vatican right Processional, step into that small confessional. They're the guy who's got religion. I'll tell you if your sin's original. If it is, try playing it safer. Drink the wine and chew the wafer. Two, four, six, eight. Time to transubstantiate. So get down upon your knees, fiddle with your rosaries, bow your head with great respect and genuflect, genuflect, genuflect. Make a cross on your abdomen. When in Rome, do like a Roman. Ave Maria. Gee, it's good to see you Getting ecstatic and sort of dramatic And doing the bad again, And I don't know I don't know if you guys have noticed lately But seriously, in the last couple months the Catholic Church has gotten a whole lot sexier. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That is a sexy, hedonistic, Plato's retreat, den of iniquity place to be. What a fun club. I want to be part of that club. Do you get decoder rings in there? Do you have spe- special secret codes, you know? What a cool, great thing. It's great. This a wonderful secret society that they have, you know, where... Like if you're if you're if you're caught, you know, or accused of like molesting or raping children, then like you or I, obviously, because we're normal people, you know, um, we're not uh, anointed by God. We would, we would go to jail. Like if we did that, we'd all go to prison. But these, but the priests, they don't go to prison. They get a much much worse punishment. They get taken out of the parish. From whence they, they were there, you know, molesting people, where people know that they're molesting, and they're taken out of that parish, the safety and sanctity of that parish, and then they're moved to a completely new parish, where it's, hello, fresh meat. <laughs> you know? And the Pope is infallible. We're, we were taught that. The Pope is infallible. Can't make a mistake. So I don't know why the fuck the Catholic Church just doesn't take that motherfucker to Vegas, you know? <laughs> I fucking, you know, walk into the Tropicana and go, okay, put all the Catholic Church's money on 17 black, 32 red, I'm sorry. I don't think you heard the man. He said 17 black. Thank you. Let's go to Bellagio. (laughs) Then they could pay off all their... Yeah, so what, um, what, is the, what does the Pope have to say about, uh, what does the Pope have to say about what's happening here in America, the scandal where over a thousand priests are being indicted? What does the Pope have to say? Well, the Pope said, okay, well, there you go. That's what we got for you. All right. So America, American Catholics, the, the Pope said, okay, good, that's good. That fucking incontinent, senile, fucking palsied motherfucker with Parkinson's disease is... Fucking making all these decisions. Yeah, that's good. That's good. He's a good man. Yeah, so, so they're, they're God's representatives. So that's, you know, I mean, so they sh- that means, you know, that God fucks little boys. <laughs> I mean, 
right? I mean, if you have a thousand or so priests that we know of, just the ones we know about, on record as fucking little boys, and that, and they're God, he, they're God's representatives, then that means God's a fucking boy fucker. And he has a big old dick. Let me tell you, God has a big fucking cock. All right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that explains why. Maybe that gives an answer to all those grieving women who are, you know, holding on to their child's casket going, Lord God, why did you take him at such an early age? He was so innocent. Yeah, they're all up in heaven servicing the priests and God. Yeah, that's got to be it, right? I mean, that's an explanation. I mean, that... But it's those kids' fault. Come on. I mean, you know, it's there to blame. They're there to share the blame is what I'm saying. They fuck, they gotta know. You don't, come on. I mean, kids are so grown up nowadays. You know, seriously, they must, you don't fucking walk into a confessional booth and you don't see scented candles and an empty box that says the violator on it and not go, huh? Come on, I don't care if you're fucking eight years old and innocent, figure it out. They're the ones sitting there tempting the, the priests anyway. You know, the priests are sitting there and those, they, all these kids are sitting there, with, you know, going like, you know, uh, I'm sorry, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. How do you not fuck that? How do you not fuck that? You'd do the same thing if you were in a confessional booth and you weren't allowed to have any sex for the rest of your life. You're, they're being tempted, like, come on. How? They're sitting there with that fucking innocent batting eyes and that sweetness and that G-shucks uh, golly, I don't know what I'm doing with that fucking tight pink virgin asshole, you know, staring that priest. He knows what's in there. He knows what's right beyond here. That shit's made of press board, man. That's a, you can break right through there. God made it. God made that fucking perfect ruby star fruit. Don't tell me. Do not tell me. Calm down, seriously. Bill M. here with episode number 678 of The Devil's Mischief, celebrating 20 years of the show in this episode with a look back at episodes number 49 and 50, The Best of Blasphemy, volumes 1 and 2. David Cross with some thoughts on the Catholic Church, Tom Lehrer with the Vatican Rag, and we started off that block with Eddie Izzard. So hey, let's hear some more Eddie Izzard. Smith Apollo, Apollo, the god of uh, god of the sun, apparently, uh, was Hammersmith Odeon. Odeon, the god of popcorn and uh, <laughs> Coca-Cola in the interval. Anyway, uh, comedy. Um, the Old Testament. That's where I'm going to start. The Old Testament, which was a big fuck-off beard testament. Everyone <laughs> had big beards and, and big voices. I say to you, Elijah, in the sky in a chariot's burning flames, the burning bush, ah, beard on fire, shit. <laughs> the Dead Sea. Even the dogs in the Old Testament, woof, woof, big beard. Uh, dog biscuit, thank you, yum, yum. Dogs in, in English uh, comics, they go woof woof. In French comics, they go wooah wooah. <laughs> it's just a difference, you see. Tintin, actually, Snowy actually goes wooah wooah. Uh, uh, woof woof. Uh, 
So anyway, the Old Testament, yes, and God was there. God uh, created the world in the Old Testament in seven days, which was a bit of a stressful seven days. I mean, I, if I was God, I would have said, I'm going to create the world, but over a certain period of days. I'm not sure. <laughs> Give me a break. You want some pressure? What, you want me to have a heart attack? No, I'll do it over a couple, a month, maybe a year. A bit like Microsoft. We're bringing it out now. No, now. A bit later. A bit later. <laughs> we'll delay it. We'll do it when we're ready. <laughs> type thing. I think God was in bed and his mother was saying, Get out of bed, God. You'll miss the best part of the day. <laughs> Laying in bed like that. It's time for clarinet practice any time minute. And God, his mother was Mrs. Badcrumble, you see. And, um, <laughs> who's... Mrs. Badcrumble's everyone's clarinet teacher. <laughs> and God was in bed and said, No, Mother, I don't, I, I won't miss the best part of the day because I haven't invented the best part of the day. Uh, ah, so I can be a clever kid. Ah. I'm going to read my comics. Woo, woo. So God created the world in seven days. The first day he created light and air and jam and soot and baked potatoes and hair and fish and arguments and frogs and banjos and roads and cars and soot, more soot, um, and Colonel Gaddafi and, uh, and, uh, and crinkly things and uh, very small uh, avenues and, and, uh, and Belgium and the same. The second day he created fire and water and sluices and, uh, and jam and speedboats and showers and toasters and rabbits and dogs and fish and frogs. And, and the third day he probably said, I, I need a list, I think. I've <laughs> no idea what I've created. Because God is James Mason, of course. I have no idea. What the hell have I created? I'm not sure. You would know, Mr. Kaplan, but I don't, so... Um, right, I'll do it alphabetically. Aardvarks, uh, albatrosses and uh, artichokes. B, uh, botulism, uh, bacteria and bread knives. C, uh, caterpillars, uh, Krakatoa and Columbus. D, fuck, I could do this forever. Anyway, um, everything jammed up on the seventh day, I think. I don't know about you. Also, the seventh day was his day of rest, so he wasn't allowed to work. He was in a, ooh, between a rock and a hard place on that one. <laughs> Because it was his own rule. You're not supposed to work on the seventh day, but he had to to build the world. <laughs> what to do? Anyway. So it really should only been six days and one day of rest. But no, he didn't listen to his own rules. Just listen to what I say, not what I do, you know. So the seventh day, I think he was scurrying around trying to make things he'd forgotten to do. Oh, my God, what am I going to do now? Um, uh, Rwanda, I must make Rwanda. Oh, not quite complete. Sorry about that. Um, the Tower of Pisa. God, keeps falling over. Oh, dear. Uh, toilets in French camping sites. Uh, I'll just put a bottom bit down there. English football hooligans. Uh, sense of humanity there. Fuck that. And Mrs. Thatcher's heart. Right. Um, oh, a stone will do. There we go. So, uh, in, the, in the week after the world was created, I think people were coming back. Rwanda doesn't work very well. <laughs> the infrastructure's fucked. 
so stuff happened. Yes, it did. You know, cane killed Abel and all the fatted calf and what meat, but uh, and um, all the thin calves going. <laughs> Glad I didn't eat anything. And then a number of centuries later, God said, "No, no, everything is crap. I, I will, I will send a flood down. I will send a flood down across the world because it's all crap." It, he decided to do the etch a sketch end of the world, I think. <laughs> Which is basically, no, oh, fuck it, no, oh, fuck it. It's all crap, don't like it. You know your Etch-a-Sketch when you've done a picture of the house and, uh, and you've done a bit of a sunshine up there and you want to draw a dog down here and you do, yeah, you have to leave vapour trails all the way along. <laughs> ah, fuck it. I will send a flood to wipe out all the bad things. I will save two of everything, but everything else goes and there'll be a lot of umbrellas. You, Noah, stop what you're doing and build me an ark. And Noah, who was Sean Connery, was... I'm working on a speedboat at the moment. Uh, <laughs> speedboat's much faster. It'll shoot across the water a lot faster. It'd be great photos for the Bible. <laughs> no, I appreciate your sense of publicity, but... Uh, I want an ark with a big room for poo. It's going to be important. <laughs> speedboat. Let's go for a speedboat. We can get all the animals with long ears. They can sit along the side. Their ears are blown. Because I like that. No, you build me an ark. Put a big motor in an ark if you want compromise. All right. So he started to build himself an ark. Started sawing up timber. <laughs> That's not actually how you start sawing, is it? You start sawing by going. <laughs> that, that first bit where you. <laughs> then you're into the middle bit of. <laughs> where you feel like your dad. <laughs> When your dad used to say, I'm off out to the garage to saw a plank of wood in half. There we go. No reason for it. Now, let's see if Dr. Bernowski is still on television. The Ascent of Man. Sundays with my dad, that was. So, yes, um... So the middle bit of song, and then the end goes back into... And after a while, Noah realised he was actually punching a baboon. Get off me! Stop hitting me! What have you got against baboons? I'm not punching a baboon, I'm sawing wood for an ark. A likely story. What do you think is going to happen? A flood? That's exactly what I think is going to happen. So he built a whole ark and then he went around the world getting animals. Two of everything. Two dogs. Okay, two dogs. Long ears along the side, please. <laughs> I'll explain it to you later. Two sheep along this side. Balance out. Quite long ears. Okay. Two uh, cats. Short ears. Inside the boat. Inside the fucking boat. Right. Two ducks. Ducks going, we're not coming. Well, it's going to be a huge fuck-off flood. So? <laughs> What's the big problem? We normally swim here, we're going to swim up here. <laughs> what is the big problem? What is all this kerfuffle about? 
There is a huge hole in the whole flood theory because it was to wipe out all the animals, you know. I mean, there's no point getting two of everything and getting two ducks on there. There's loads of ducks swimming around. What are you two up there for? <laughs> What are you doing in that bloody ark? <laughs> well, we're, we're special. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Why are we here? Look, Noah, what, what's your problem? There's a fuck of a lot of ducks here. <laughs> God? Uh, yes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's my week off. Oh, I forgot about ducks. Oh, shit. There's going to be a lot of evil... All the evil ducks. There must have been a ton of evil ducks. Ducks should rule the world now, shouldn't they? <laughs> Because if they left so many evil ducks around, and, and evil geese and evil swans, quack, quack, quack. <laughs> evil fish, evil pilot fish with those lights out the top of their heads. And the evil pilot fish, they swim in twos, swim along, and an unsuspecting ordinary fish will go, No, it's a car coming towards me. It's a car, it's a car. <laughs> hey, bloody pilot fish. I know your dad. And we understand, with, with humans, we understand the, the concept of good and bad. Good, bad, uh, very, very good, evil, uh, saintly evil, I suppose that's the balance. But with, with animals, what exactly is an evil giraffe? <laughs> I will eat all the leaves off this tree. <laughs> I have got up early to eat all the leaves off this tree. And then when other giraffes get up, there will be no leaves. <laughs> and they will die. <laughs> <laughs> I have hidden berries under a rock. There will be no berries, and some animals will die. <laughs> How do you get an evil herbivore? You know, it's weird. We do have bad dog, though. Bad dog does exist. Down, down, bad dog. Stole a biscuit, bad dog. Stole the entire contents of the table, bad dog. Dog going, who are you to judge me? <laughs> You humans, you have genocide, you have wars against people of different colours, skin, creed. And I stole a biscuit. <laughs> I ate some food to keep me alive. Is that a crime? <laughs> well, you've got a good point there. Um, have another biscuit, sorry about that. Satan Splain. Satanic Talk with Church of Satan Magister Bill M. Well, it's not Satan worship, it's Satanism. It's embracing the life-enriching things which have traditionally been given the devil's name. Pride, lust, earthly success, rational self-interest, atheism, humor, nonconformity, science, a passion for living, being selective about whom we love. We don't see these as shameful sins, but empowering ideals. And we also recognize the psychological power and fun of symbolism and aesthetics, so we utilize Satan as mythology's most fitting mascot for what we're about. Listen to Satansplain. Learn more at satansplain.com. Bill M. here with The Devil's Mischief. Visit the official website, devilsmischief.com. You can also email me, bill at devilsmischief.com is the email address. We are coming up on what was the end of episode number 49, Best of Blasphemy, Volume 1. And I ended that episode with a pair of routines which, well, have since become classic comedy in their own right, I would say. 
I remember in February 1999, I had my VCR all ready to record the brand new George Carlin special as it was being performed live for HBO. That special was called You Are All Diseased. I had already seen George Carlin prior that year. I saw him when he came to my town. And at that show, he did an earlier version of what would become the closing routines of his HBO performance, which you will now hear. And uh, as I said, that is what I ended episode number 49 with. So it's what I will end the first half of this episode with now. Yeah, we're only halfway through. There's even more religion bashing comedy coming up after this in the second half of the episode. In fact, I think this is easily the longest single episode of The Devil's Mischief I've aired to date. I think it is. If you want to learn more about George Carlin, though, and his vast body of work, visit the website georgecarlin.net. georgecarlin.net is a George Carlin website created and run by me. And I don't think you'll find any more information on George Carlin online than on that particular site of mine, because that's what I strive to make it to be. georgecarlin.net. And now here is George Carlin. But in the bullshit department, in the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe. In awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all powerful, all perfect, all knowing and all wise. Somehow just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions of dollars. They pay no taxes and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit. Thank you. Thank you. But, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. But I want you to know, I want you to know something. This is sincere. I want you to know, when it comes to believing in God, I really tried. I really really tried. I tried to believe that there is a God who created each of us in his own image and likeness, loves us very much, and keeps a close eye on things. I really tried to believe that, but I got to tell you, the longer you live, the more you look around, the more you realize something is fucked up. 
Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. Something is definitely wrong. This is not good work. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. This is the kind of shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. And just between you and me, in any decently run universe, this guy would have been out on his all-powerful ass a long time ago. And by the way, I say this guy because I firmly believe, looking at these results, that if there is a God, it has to be a man. No woman could or would ever fuck things up like this. So, so, if, if, if there is a God, if there is, I think most reasonable people might agree that he's at least incompetent and maybe, just maybe, doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit, which I admire in a person and which would explain a lot of these bad results. So rather than be just another one of these mindless religious robots blindly believing that all of this is in the hands of some spooky incompetent father figure who doesn't give a shit, I decided to look around for something else to worship. Something I could really count on. And immediately I thought of the sun. Happened like that. Overnight I became a sun worshiper. Well, not overnight, you can't see the sun at night. But first thing the next morning, I became a sun worshiper. Several reasons. First of all, I can see the sun, okay? <laughs> yeah. Unlike some other gods I could mention, I can actually see the sun. I'm big on that. If I can see something, I don't know, kind of helps the credibility along, you know? So every day I can see the sun as it gives me everything I need. Heat, light, food, flowers in the park, reflections on the lake, and occasional skin cancer. But hey, at least there are no crucifixions and we're not setting people on fire simply because they don't agree with us. Sun worship is fairly simple. There's no mystery, no miracles, no pageantry, no one asks for money, there are no songs to learn, and we don't have a special building where we all gather once a week to compare clothing. And the best thing, the best thing about the sun, it never tells me I'm unworthy. It doesn't tell me I'm a bad person who needs to be saved. Hadn't said an unkind word. Treats me fine. So I worship the sun. But I don't pray to the sun. Know why? I wouldn't presume on our friendship. It's not polite. I've often thought people treat God rather rudely, don't you? Trillions and trillions of prayers every day, asking and pleading and begging for favors. Do this, give me that, I need a new car, I want a better job. And most of this praying takes place on Sunday, his day off. It's not nice, and it's no way to treat a friend. But people do pray, and they pray for a lot of different things. You know, your sister needs an operation on her crotch. Your brother was arrested for defecating in a mall. But most of all, you'd really like to fuck that hot little redhead down at the convenience store. You know, the one with the eye patch and the club foot, huh? Can you pray for that? I think you'd have to. And I say, fine, pray for anything you want. Pray for anything. But what about the divine plan? Remember that? The divine plan. Long time ago, God made a divine plan. Gave it a lot of thought, decided it was a good plan, put it into practice. And for billions and billions of years, the divine plan has been doing just fine. 
Now you come along and pray for something. Well, suppose the thing you want isn't in God's divine plan. What do you want him to do? Change his plan? Just for you? Doesn't it seem a little arrogant? It's a divine plan. What's the use of being God if every rundown schmuck with a $2 prayer book can come along and fuck up your plan? (laughs) And here's something else, another problem you might have. Suppose your prayers aren't answered. What do you say? Well, it's God's will. Thy will be done. Fine. But if it's God's will and he's going to do what he wants to anyway, why the fuck bother praying in the first place? (laughs) Seems like a big waste of time to me. Couldn't you just skip the praying part and go right to his will? It's all very confusing. So to get around a lot of this, I decided to worship the sun. But as I said, I don't pray to the sun. You know who I pray to? Joe Pesci. (laughs) Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Two reasons. First of all, I think he's a good actor, okay? To me, that counts. Second, he looks like a guy who can get things done. Joe Pesci doesn't fuck around. Doesn't fuck around. In fact, in fact, Joe Pesci came through on a couple of things that God was having trouble with. For years, I asked God to do something about my noisy neighbor with the barking dog. Joe Pesci straightened that cocksucker out with one visit. It's amazing what you can accomplish with a simple baseball bat. So I've been praying to Joe for about a year now. And I noticed something. I noticed that all the prayers I used to offer to God and all the prayers I now offer to Joe Pesci are being answered at about the same 50% rate. Half the time I get what I want, half the time I don't. Same as God, 50-50. Same as the four-leaf clover, the horseshoe, the rabbit's foot, and the wishing well. Same as the mojo man. Same as the voodoo lady who tells you your fortune by squeezing the goat's testicles. It's all the same, 50-50. So just pick your superstition, sit back, make a wish, and enjoy yourself. And for those of you who look to the Bible for its literary qualities and moral lessons, I've got a couple of other stories I might like to recommend for you. You might enjoy The Three Little Pigs. That's a good one. has a nice, happy ending. Then there's Little Red Riding Hood, although it does have that one X-rated part where the big bad wolf actually eats the grandmother, which I didn't care for, by the way. And finally, I've always drawn a great deal of moral comfort from Humpty Dumpty. The part I like the best, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That's because there is no Humpty Dumpty and there is no God. None, not one, never was no God. In fact, I'm going to put it this way. If there is a God, if there is a God, may he strike this audience dead. See, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Everybody's okay. All right? Tell you what. Tell you what. I'll raise the stakes. I'll raise the stakes a little bit. If there is a God, may he strike me dead. See? Nothing happened. Oh, wait. Got a little cramp in my leg. And my balls hurt. Plus, I'm blind. I'm blind. Oh, now I'm okay again. Must have been Joe Pesci, huh? God bless Joe Pesci. Thank you all very much. Joe bless you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And that concludes the tracks that made up episode number 49 of The Devil's Mischief, an episode that aired back in May 2004, The Best of Blasphemy, Volume 1. Because this is, in fact, The Devil's Mischief. We're celebrating 20 years of The Devil's Mischief. This episode you're hearing right now will be the first of hopefully many episodes celebrating 20 years of Colonel Comedy Clips and Neville Novelty Numbers. 
it would seem that that George Carlin piece would be the magnum opus of his and a perfect time to end this show. But we're only halfway done here. So let's go back in time to some older comedy clips of a blasphemous variety, including Woody Allen. But right before him right now, let's hear a joke told by Red Fox. The two preachers used to ride their bicycles to church every Sunday down the country, and every Sunday they'd stop on the side of the road and chat. One Sunday, the preacher, one of the preachers was walking, the other was riding. He said, Well, what happened to your bicycle? He said, You know, somebody in my congregation must have stole my bicycle. He said, I don't know what to do to get it back. The other reverend said, Well, if you want to get it back, when you go to church this Sunday, when you're preaching, say the Ten Commandments. When you get to the commandment which says, Thou shalt not steal, ever who stole your bicycle, feel guilty and bring it back to you. Sure enough, the next Sunday, both preachers were riding on the bicycle, and they stopped to chat again. He said, Rev, I see you got your bike back. He said, did you do it like I told you? The other reverend said, yes, I did. I said the Ten, ten Commandments, and when I got the commandment which says, Thou should not commit adultery, I remember where I left my bicycle. Years ago, my mother gave me a bullet. bullet. And I put it in my breast pocket. Two years after that, I was walking down the street when a berserk evangelist heaved a Gideon Bible out a hotel room window, hitting me in the chest. The Bible would have gone through my heart if it wasn't for the bullet. showing this movie to children. They're calling it an educational film. What are they teaching here? About wizards and about witches? Where are the films that teach about our Lord? Kimberly? He watches over us From down below His power and His glory Darken every door Oh, Satan, prince of darkness, you're my Lord. Hail Satan, you're my Lord. Hail Satan, everyone. Hail Satan, prince of darkness, you're my Lord. What a show we've got today. Are you excited? I am. I feel him. I got the devil in my feet. Oh! Get me an exorcist. No, Look at him. Send that exorcist away because I've got him too and it feels too good to cut it out. <laughs> oh, oh, Satan. Our first guest is part of the HSN family. Right. Let's get him out here. Mod Creep Lanier. Beautiful. To hell with both of you. Oh, to hell with you. Oh, and Kimberly, don't you look beautiful tonight? You are just the mother of all whores. Oh. She is. She is a real daughter of mammon, isn't she? Well, yes. flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> oh. Oh. We have good yeah, time. We do. Three of us. Yeah. Now, my grief. You brought a special friend with you today, didn't you? Well, now, Kimberly, I surely did. He's a young fellow. He's a real trooper, this one. His name is Kevin. 
and I'd surely like to bring him out here. Kevin, if you would come out here now, I'd love to give him a round. It's hard for him to come out. Here he comes. Oh, the wait was worth it. And there he is. Hello there, Kevin. Now, Kevin, will you tell these people why you're in that wheelchair? What put you there? Um... Because I don't want to stand up. Don't want to stand up? You don't want to do anything, do you? No, sir. Now, Kevin, you went and saw a doctor, didn't you? Yes, sir. And what did the doctor say? He said I was lazy. <laughs> Kevin is lazy, folks. He doesn't want to do anything. Now, we all know that idle hands are the devil's playground. That's right. And Kevin is a shining example of the beautiful sin of sloth. That's right. And a slothful child shall lead them. There's Bobby C. with the scripture, isn't he? Now, Kevin, you managed to... Oh, you managed to do some things, don't you? Kevin, we're having a TV show. Now, Kevin, you managed to do some things, don't you? Yes, I sleep, I eat, I take a bath, I watch pornographies. He loves his porno. Kevin, Kevin, you sweet boy, can you hear me? He can hear fine. Oh, he can? I'm sorry. (laughs) Kevin, I'm going to make your dream of slothfulness and greed come alive. Kevin, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to call it the devil's house. It's going to be filled with the softest pillars. It's going to have elevators, escalators, a thousand TVs. Kevin, there's going to be a bathroom right in your bed so you don't have to get up to go to the bathroom at all. Hail Satan. to say something. Kevin wants to say. I also want people to perform bestialities for me. Oh, Oh, and so it shall be, sweet Kevin. Oh, and so it shall be. And if Bobby says it shall be, so so it shall be. This is a song now for Kevin, Bobby C., Kimberly, and the whole HSN family. Obviously misinformed. Why teach the child slanderous myths? Satanists perform rituals with lots of blood and animal sacrifices, too! 
That's simply not true. We don't perform any rituals involving animals, unless you count fishing, which we don't. Back to the water for you, Mr. Gills. Satanists will ask you for all your money. And you won't? They want to enslave decent people. We must destroy them and their kind. Now that's religious persecution, and that's against the law. So long, hate monger. Remember, little girl, everyone's entitled to their beliefs. You are listening to The Devil's Mischief on Radio Free Satan. Check out the other shows that we have on Radio Free Satan, including The Metro and Infernal Legion. Also, The Meadow Grotto released a new episode at the start of August. Plenty of shows to be heard on RadioFreeSatan.com. Before the break, you heard a clip from the 1990s sketch show, Mr. Show with Bob and David, the satanic parody of a gospel show. That's what they did, the Hail Satan Network. And Mr. Show reunited for a live tour in 2002. I got to see them on that tour, and I remember seeing them do a live version of that sketch, the Hail Satan Network, along along with uh, many other sketches live on stage. They had some new variations to that one, which I thought were amazing. I always wondered if any recordings of that tour exist. I'm sure somebody made a video bootleg at some point. Let's hear more from Mr. Show. Bob Odenkirk plays a devil worshiper named Anders LeVance, an obvious takeoff on Anton LaVey. But I thought it was well done and good fun. So let's have a listen. Too much play. Just look for the crazy devil with the googly eyes. <laughs> Hello, I'm Anders LeVance. Uh, High Priest of the First Church of Satan Reformed, St. Paul, Minnesota. Thank you all for coming. The reason I've called this press conference is to say, enough, stop it. Thank you. Stop the savage character assassination of Satan that takes place at the hands of the media and the marketplace. Time and again, Satan is portrayed as a bumbling boob. A clown, a klutz, a loser. Satan is dolled up, caricatured, and turned into a cartoon to be laughed at. No, please, please, no other religious group has to put up with this. He is my co-pilot, and I will not stand for it any longer. Sorry. Now I'd like to introduce my partner in this endeavor, Archbishop Truesdale of the Chicago Catholic Archdiocese. True? You come out here. Hello, everyone. Hello, Daniel, Madeline. Hello, how are you? Yes. We are here to say enough. Satan is no joke. Hear, hear. Yes. This dumbing down of the devil's image has got to stop. Satan is to be feared and despised. Why would I fear a silly character like this? Why would I praise a silly character like this? Ask yourself that, huh? Yes, it's true. It's true. We each have an interest in seeing evil incarnate represented in realistic terms. Hail Satan. Well, Ange, I didn't step up when you were oh, you're supporting you. Archbishop, is, is that a pentagram you're wearing? Hmm? Oh, yes, yes. Um, yes, Anders gave this to me for National Friendship Day. And True gave me a beautiful ostrich skin wallet. So, you're friends? 
Yes, oh, yes. Uh, I go to Anders' house for, for barbecues and tossabouts, and he comes over and he'll house it for me. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry about the mess last time. Oh, sorry. Right. I don't know what possessed me. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that. He's incorrigible, this one. This Stick one over around, there. you'll hear it this, a lot. Look at him go. Well, someone put a nickel in you. <laughs> anyway... The point is, we are here to say, heaven, heaven and hell, hell. Together, together we, we can, can do, do it. it. <laughs> we're touring the country in a series of what we're calling fundraisers. It's a great way to remind people that the battle between good and evil continues. Ah, hello. It's nice to see you all here. Now, as the more perceptive of you probably realized by now, this is hell. And I am the devil. Good evening. Uh, but you can call me Toby, if you like. We, we try to keep things informal here, as well as infernal. Um, that's just a little joke of mine. I tell it every time. Now, you're all here for eternity, Ooh. which I hardly need tell you is a heck of a long time. Um, so you'll all get to know each other pretty well by the end. But for now, I'm going to have to split you up into groups. Will you stop screaming? Thank you. Now, murderers. Murderers, over here, please. Thank you. Uh, looters and pillagers over here, thieves, if you could join them, and lawyers, you're in that lot. Fornicators, if you could step forward. My God, there are a lot of you. Uh, could I split you up into adulterers and the rest? Male adulterers, if you could just form a line in front of that small guillotine in the corner there. <laughs> The French, are you here? Okay. If you'd just like to come down here with the Germans, that'd be lovely. I'm sure you'll have plenty to talk about. Okay, um, atheists. Atheists, over here, please. You must be feeling a right bunch of nitwits. <laughs> And finally, Christians. Christians? Ah, yes, I'm sorry. I'm afraid the Jews were right. <laughs> That'd be really kind. Thank you. Okay. Right. Well, are there any questions? Yes. No, I'm afraid we don't have any toilets. Um, if you'd read your Bible, you might have seen that it was damnation without relief. <laughs> So if you didn't go before you came, then I'm afraid you're not going to enjoy yourself very much. <laughs> but then I believe that's the idea. Okay, well, it's over to you, Adolf. And I'll uh, catch you all later at the barbecue. Bye. Let's put Christ back in Christmas. Right back where he belongs. Let's put Christ back. Christmas and back in your favorite Christmas songs. Frosty 
the snowman was Jesus Christ's best friend. Yeah. He stood there melting by the cross until the very end. Hey. Ho, ho, you better not shout, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm not telling you why. Jesus Christ is coming again. Again! Again! One more! Let's put Christ back in Christmas today! Right back where he belongs. Let's put Christ back in Christmas and back in your favorite Christmas songs. Take it, Pat! Jesus, the long-haired savior, had a very shiny glow. And if you ever saw it, you would call it a halo. Halo! Let's put Christ back in Christmas. The true meaning of the season. Right back where he belongs. Let's put Christ back in Christmas. And back in your favorite. And back in your favorite. And back in your favorite Christmas. Jingle bells go to hell if you do not parade. Slowly I went up to the bottle and began to unfasten the lid. 
At first, nothing happened, but then the room filled with a thick white smoke. I was glad my sister had taken the batteries out of the smoke detector to put her a Walkman. When the smoke cleared, I found myself face to face with the Son of God, who was much shorter than I had expected. He told me that since I freed him, he'd grant me one wish, and that's how I got to go to the prom with Gina Davis. But you've probably already read about that in people. little novelty music there with the Bob and Tom show and Dead Milkman's song, I Dream of Jesus. We're going to finish now with two long pieces, one more from David Cross, one more from George Carlin. And what I like especially about this first one from David Cross is that it even mentions the Church of Satan. You'll have to hear the full context, though. David Cross on The Devil's Mischief. Before I leave, I want to uh, read to you guys from this book that I got. It's called Seven Promises of a Promise Keeper. And, uh, oh, you guys know Promise Keepers? Oh, they're awesome. It's awesome. But if you don't know who the Promise Keepers are, uh, they're, the Promise Keepers are a group of Christian men who keep promises. They're, they're good, and they're, they're good people, and I've read this book in its entirety for real, and uh, there's a lot of uh, lessons in here. And, and really, what the book is about is about how to best subjugate women, you know, uh, but in a cool, hip way, you know, for today's modern era. Um, but it's good. There's a, uh, but this is, and this is important, for real. This is not about what I'm reading from... From when I read stories from here, this is not about like making fun of religion or uh, Christianity or anything like that. The, what I'm, why I'm reading them, and it's important, is to just show how these guys are liars. You know, and it's like any, it's like any fucking preacher or anybody, you know, who uh, any denomination doesn't matter if they're a rabbi or a cleric. You know, when they tell their sermons, you know, and they do one every week, and they run out of material pretty quickly, you know. And they got to fucking force in that Isaiah 413 in there, you know. And so they've all got this bullshit story about, you know, uh, last Wednesday I was at the mall with my young niece and some of her skateboarding friends. And I'm like, all right, well, all right. You know, it's bullshit, you know. Like, he made something up about skate. Um, hey, Father, I'm a skateboarder and stuff, and I love crazy punk music, but is there a place in heaven for me? You know, whatever, you know, just... It's just crap. It's lies. It's just like any politician with this fake story about people you'll never see. You know, they just... I was in Flint, Michigan last week, and a young lady came up to me and said, Senator, because of your opponent's policies, I could not afford Christmas dinner, and I was forced to eat my own eyeballs. Well, we're going to get... You know, it's bullshit. That's my point. Whatever. It's just a made-up bullshit story. And that's what this is about. And this is, uh, again, not making fun of uh, um, Christianity or the Bible. And, like, you know, honestly, I, I've, 
I've read large parts of the Bible. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Um, almost obsessed, you might say, by that and Scientology. That's a whole other story. But, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed and, and fascinated with all that shit. And as I said, I've read large parts of the Bible. And I will say, honestly, that the Bible truly is one of the funniest books I've ever read. It's fucking funny. It's so fucking funny. I mean, right out of the gate, it's funny. I mean, just the first six pages. I mean, that shit is like, that's the most D&D bullshit crazy shit. Like, and then uh, the all-powerful thing swooped down and sent a plague of frogs upon all the heathens. Like, what? What are you doing? Let's give them more powers. Let's roll the die. (laughs) And then he was dead for three days and rose up to heaven. That's total D&D nonsense. Anyway, um, it's fucking, seriously, I mean, when you, I, it's just, uh, the Bible's so crazy. I mean, first of all, look, all right, all right, look, if you, I mean, if you know the history of the Bible and how, and, and just its entire massive history and how it was uh, written in these dead languages and then translated and then retranslated into other languages and then retranslated by monarchs based on their whims and, you know, and all this shit and the people interpret it in their own way and you sit there and you, and you still, after all that shit, and realize that the Bible was written thousands of years ago when people were even dumber than we are today. Think about that. Think about that. Take... Go outside, go outside, let, wait, wait till the bars empty out. If I can go home, watch Fox TV, and realize that, wow, the Bible is written by people even dumber than all these motherfuckers. That's the Bible you're reading and has been read to you for generations. You know, that, I mean, it's, it's insane. It's, it's just, it's absurd to, to believe in that shit. Because, all right, first of all, forget that. Forget that. Let's just look at Genesis. Just as an example, let's look at Genesis right off the bat. I swear to God, the funniest six pages in literary history. God, this all-powerful God, decides he's going to make Earth. It takes him six days to make Earth. There's all kinds of other crazy shit going on. But it takes him six days, six calendar days. I assume it's a Gregorian calendar. But six days to make the Earth. And then he rests on the seventh day because he's exhausted. (laughs) Woo! Man, those rivers took a lot out of me. It's fucking God. God gets tired. God needs a nap. This isn't the God I was made to understand exists and fucking rules all our lives. God, God gets tired after six days. Oh, man, I got to crash. I got to crash before I get up and do, I don't know, whatever I'm going to do, you know. And then he decides, then he makes this huge planet, huge, massive planet. Takes him six fucking days. It's huge. I don't know if you've driven cross country. That's one, that's this much of the planet. He makes the polar ice caps. He makes Ecuador. He makes Bayonne, New Jersey. He makes this huge planet. And then he decides, you know what? I'm going to put one dude in there. One guy. One guy. So he makes Adam, and he goes, enjoy! And leaves to go make Venus, I guess. So he makes Adam, 
And then, and then it occurs to him later when he checks back in on him that, oh, Adam's lonely. Oh, shit, I forgot to make other people for him to hang out with. I thought he'd be able to commune with the sparrow and the fucking lungfish. I thought that would work for him. But I guess he's just sitting, taking a shit, and not knowing what to do. I didn't really have the foresight. Well, what the fuck do I know? I'm just God. I know everything. So then he goes, oh, he's lonely. So when Adam's sleeping, he takes a rib out and makes Eve for him. All right. So then Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. You know, first of all, there's the thing with the snake in the tree. We all know that story. I don't want to, it's, uh, it's quite sad. I don't want to relay it right here. Bum everybody out. It is our original fall from grace. And uh, so then, um, so then he, makes, he makes Eve, and then Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. Then Cain slays Abel, his brother, and then Cain's punishment is he's banished from Eden, and he has to go to Nod, where God provides him with a wife. His, so his punishment is that he doesn't have to hang out with his parents anymore, and there's somebody he can fuck whenever he wants. That's his punishment. Okay, so, uh, and he didn't even lose a rib for it, you know. Um, and then, so in order, but the best part about the Bible is, like, as I said in Genesis, like, after, like, page, it's kind of page two through six when they, uh, when Cain uh, gets banished and they have to get, how they explain how from four people uh, they get to Noah's time where the Bible kind of kicks in again, you know, and there's like six pages of, to, to get up to speed. From four people there were like a million without explaining, you know, you know evolution or, you know, uh, incest or anything like that, you know. Because there was a lot of motherfucking going on there. A lot of motherfucking, sister fucking, daughter fucking, you know, father fucking, niece fucking, cousin fucking, tons of fucking rampant, rampant incest. Tons, man. Granddaughter fucking, grandson fucking, tons. Tons of incest, you know, and explain how we get from there to a million people without, you know, getting into that fucking bullshit about evolution, which is a load of shit. (laughs) You know, come on, the scientists with their theories and their facts, you know, that's nonsense. Everybody knows it was a talking snake in a tree. We all know that. That's how the earth started. It wasn't this long, protracted evolutionary process. It was a talking snake in a tree. Please, we all know that. And... Yeah, I'll tell you what, if you're fucking that dumb, if you actually don't believe in evolution, if you really are that deluded, then I'll tell you what, as a little experiment, give an elderly person and a chimpanzee a camera and watch them both try to operate it. <laughs> Same fucking thing. Like, you know, which button do I... Ah! Ah! You know, and they run around all scared, you know, and the chimp runs around, he takes a shit and he fucking throws it everywhere and the elderly man just takes a shit and that's evolution is that we progressed to where the elderly man does not throw his poo around and we're better off for it. But, uh, but it, as I was saying, in other, in, 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 so in order to explain how from four people there's like a million in Noah's time, there's this long list of people in Genesis. It's right. If you got it at home, look it up. When you go home, look it up. It's right there. And if you don't have it, you know what? Check into a fucking, you know, shitty, cheesy motel for like 16 bucks and just go steal the Bible and then, you know, leave and go home. It's, the Bible's worth 16 bucks, so everybody wins. All right. And the Gideons have something to do tomorrow. So, 
But there's this long list of people who begat other people, and it goes on for like six pages. Just on and on and on. So, Ehad begat Jadah, and Jadah begat, you know, Jebediah, and Jebediah begat Ezekiel, and Ezekiel begat Hermaphrodite, and Hermaphrodite begat Michelin, and it just goes on and on and on and on. It goes on. But the best thing about it, the funniest thing is, they all grow up to be 840 years old. 910 years old. 940 years old. For real. And you're reading this going like, what? 940 years old? Oh my God. Have you seen a a hundred year old? What the fuck? What kind of fucking God is making people be 940 years old? Jesus, man, you fucking, you're a hundred years old, you fucking fall down, break your hip, that's it. Wherever you fucking land, that is where you're going to be for the next 800 motherfucking years, all right? You are nothing but a shit and piss factory, my friend. You stay right there and slowly deteriorate and just sit there and fucking hope that a piece of fruit falls off a tree and rolls by your chin to be like, <laughs> you have something to eat for once. Just sitting there praying for death. What a wonderful way to spend your life with nobody else around. That's awesome. Uh, and you know my favorite thing about like really religious people is when they tell me they're going to pray for me. They're going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for you so hard. I'm going to pray for your soul. I'm going to pray for you so hard. I'm just going to spend the next three days just praying for your soul, praying for you. You know, and then I'm like, cool. <laughs> All right. That's, really? That's awesome. Thank you. I, all right, I'm going to fucking do some blow and then fuck that girl. Cause, but you got everything covered? Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. I do appreciate it. Anyway, this isn't about that. This is uh, about just lies. And these are all stories that are purported to be true. And they tell people this and people believe it. And I've selected this so that it's a great example of lies. And it's from a chapter called Five Secrets of a Happy Marriage. And uh, for real. And of the five secrets to a happy marriage, fucking... Not one of them. You'd think it'd be up there, but leave it to Christians. Jews get it on, man. That's what I'm saying, man. Um, all right. Jim and Suzette Bronner live in a small town in Missouri and have three children. Jason, who's 19 at the time of this writing, a national swimming champion and a freshman in college. Travis, their 17-year-old son, who's an outstanding three-sport athlete in high school. And Jill, their beautiful and talented 13-year-old. Certainly, we can all relate to one of these kids. I'm kind of like Travis, I think. Don't you think, guys? Seriously? All right. Recently... Keep in mind, it's all supposed to be true. Recently, Jason came home for the first time from college. He was unusually nervous because, as part of his initiation into the swim team, he had been coerced into wearing an earring. (laughs) Now, none of the men in his family had ever worn an earring, and it just wasn't done among their circle of friends. Jason felt the roof might come off when mom and dad saw him. Jason pulled into the driveway and found his mom. 
She was so excited to see him that she gave him a big hug before she noticed his earring and gasped. Then she laughed. (gasps) (laughs) What a great joke, she said. I assume it's one of those stick-on kinds. No. No, Mom. This is the real thing, Jason answered. I I had my ear pierced. Everybody on the swim team has an earring, and I was the only one who didn't, so I gave in. Well, Suzette became nervous, not because she was upset with her son, but because she wondered how her husband would react when he got home. After taking Jason's laundry and getting him something to drink, she called two friends. Both Jason and his mother were anxious as Jim arrived home. When he walked in the door, Jason said, Hi, Dad. I'm home for the weekend. Jim immediately hugged his son on the side opposite the earring and then said, Well, how's college going? He hadn't noticed, and Jason just kept waiting for the explosion. Finally, Dad saw it. Hey. Well, he does that, like, Y dash, Y dash, Y dash thing. See that thing? Hey. What's this, he said. Jason thought, oh no, he's going to rip it off my ear. Suzette gently suggested, now don't overreact. But Jim didn't react at all. Calmly and sensitively, which I believe are reactions. Yes, they are reactions, actually. Mm -hmm. He asked, what's going on? Jason answered, Dad, everybody on the swim team has an earring. I knew you'd be upset, but Dad, I was the only guy who didn't have one. The senior said, either I do it or you know I'm in trouble. (laughs) If you want to wear the earring, that's your business, Jim answered. It's not up to me. Only God knows how much I love you. That... Did you hear that? I mean, that... That's kind of shitty, isn't it? Your dad is telling you he doesn't know how much he loves you? Son, I may love you a lot. I may not love you at all. I don't know. I don't know! I ask uh, every night I'm on my knees asking for a sign. How Do I love my son? How much do I love? But he won't... Don't... Uh, all right. Personally, I wouldn't wear an earring, but hey... I understand the pressure you were getting. Suzette calmed down immediately. I thought you were going to be mad, she told Jim. No, no. (laughs) We need to support our son, he said. Actually, I'd like to do something about it. But I don't think anything would help. One... 100% bullshit. (laughs) That didn't happen. Folks, that didn't happen. They're telling this story. First of all, all right, let's assume it happened. That means that Jason is so fucking retarded. He doesn't really understand the mechanics, the the physical intricacy of how an earring works. Like, this is crazy. I mean, sure, I could, you know, pick apart a car and, you know, take a motor... Disassembled and reassembled, but then that shit's beyond. Because last time, that fucking worried about your dad going fucking nuts and some right wing Christian bullshit beating the shit out of your family nutty thing, then fucking take it out. Take it out, Jason. 
Take it out. That's all you got to do. Fucking take it out. Don't, you know, was he like getting the earring? Go, I don't know. Get it off me. <laughs> Fucking bullshit. All right. One last super quick one. This is a good one. This is even better than the last one. Forget the last one. This is better. Keep in mind, it's supposed to be true. Several years ago, a pastor in Denver told his congregation the following true story. See, right away. Right? When you do that, that means... A lady from his church was flying back to Denver, and as the meal was served, she noticed the woman sitting next to her did not take a meal. To make conversation, the Christian woman asked, Are you on a diet? Pretty, well, pretty standard icebreaker amongst women. I mean, that's kind of... Right? When you're in closed, cramped quarters for like four hours. Hey, Tubby, gonna finish that cake or... Probably better over on this side, I don't know anything. All right. Are you on a diet, was the question. No, came the reply. I am a member of the Church of Satan, and we are fasting for the destruction of the families of pastors and Christian leaders. What? that happened that is fucking I mean there's no way that unless that fucking woman was me and it wasn't didn't fucking happen liars oh I was gonna I was gonna do this but now I gotta read oh this is in today's paper I fucking love this shit this is in today's paper where do you live? You live in Atlanta. Yeah. Let me read to you from your paper. <laughs> Let me read to you s- some news. Oh, this, this fucking rocks. Page two of the, what is it called? The issues, issue section. Will you know people in heaven? This is in the newspaper. <laughs> Will you know people in heaven? Okay. Yeah, for real. Listen to this fucking... This is... This, all right. Most Atlantans agree that in the afterlife, we will see and know people we knew on Earth. All right. Here's the last fucking beautiful one. For real. Quoted in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The roadways in heaven are for walking and for vehicles. Yes, there are transportation vehicles in heaven driven by the angels. However, there is no pollution there. Yeah, all right. Meanwhile, you can't buy beer on fucking Sunday after midnight because of this bullshit. It's, it, how did that guy get that fucking information? Oh, Jesus came to me in a dream. It, it was really important to Jesus because it takes a little bit out of his energy and ectoplasm every time he makes an appearance on earth. It's really like he's got a nap for a couple days, you know? It's like, you know when we take like four hits of acid and stay up for two days? That's what it's like for Jesus just to make one appearance on earth, you know? So Jesus came back and told me about the roadways in heaven. It was very important that you know that angels drive vehicles on paved roads. Roads, paved. They have tar in heaven. They have tar in heaven. And angels 
drive the vehicles. What a fucking shit job is that? What kind of fucking... Who the fuck wants to be an angel then? Yeah, get in. Get in. I led a life of pure good. Now get in. I'll take you to the buffet. Jesus Christ. Yes? Not you. God damn it. Yes? No, not you either. You have been listening to the first of hopefully several episodes celebrating 20 years of The Devil's Mischief. In this episode, uh, well, it was basically all of the religion-mashing material that I played during the show's first year, the show's first 50 episodes. I extracted all of that, and you heard all of that now. I'm sure I'll be throwing in another Best of Blasphemy or two before year's end as we continue to celebrate 20 years of Carnal Comedy Clips and Netherworld Novelty Numbers. Once again, the website is devilsmischief.com, and the email address is bill at devilsmischief.com. If you enjoy the show and want to support it, well, please consider buying a Devil's Mischief grab bag when they become available. I will let you know when. Let us now, in the meantime, end with the last track of Devil's Mischief episode number 50. It's from George Carlin from 2001. And I'm happy to say that I was in the audience that night when he was recording this routine. And it's George Carlin's view of the Ten Commandments. Until then, I'm going to say thanks for taking this Best of Blasphemy trip with me. We'll see you next time on The Devil's Mischief. 20 years and still going. Hail Satan. Here's something else I got a problem with. The Ten Commandments. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you. Listen. Here's my problem. Why are there 10? You don't need 10. I think the list of commandments was deliberately and artificially inflated to get it up to 10. It's a padded list. Here's what they did. About 5,000 years ago, a bunch of religious and political hustlers got together to try to figure out how to control people, how to keep them in line. They knew people were basically stupid and would believe anything they were told. So they announced that God had given them some commandments. Up on a mountain, when no one was around, <laughs> God had given them the Ten Commandments. But let me ask you this. When they were sitting around making this shit up, why did they pick ten? Why ten? Why not nine or eleven? I'll tell you why. Because ten sounds official. <laughs> ten sounds important. They knew if it was eleven, people wouldn't take it seriously. Say, what, are you kidding me? The Eleven Commandments? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but ten... Ten sounds important. Ten is the basis for the decimal system. It's a decade. It's a psychologically satisfying number. The top ten, the ten most wanted, the ten best dressed. So having ten commandments was really a marketing decision. <laughs> and to me, it's clearly a bullshit list. It's a political document artificially inflated to sell better. I'm going to show you how you could reduce the number of commandments and come up with a list that's a little more workable and logical. We're going to start with the first three, and I'll use the Roman Catholic version because those are the ones I was taught as a little boy. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt keep holy the Sabbath. Right off the bat, the first three, pure bullshit. <laughs> Sabbath. Sabbath day, Lord's name, strange gods. Spooky language. <laughs> Spooky language. Designed to scare and control primitive people. 
In no way does superstitious nonsense like this apply to the lives of intelligent, civilized humans in the 21st century. You throw out the first three commandments, whoosh, you're down to seven. <laughs> Next, honor thy father and mother. Obedience, respect for authority. Just another name for controlling people. The truth is, obedience and respect should not be automatic. They should be earned. They should be based on the parent's performance. <laughs> parent's performance. Right? Some, some parents deserve respect. Most of them don't. Period. You're down to six. Now, in the interest of logic, something religion is very uncomfortable with, we're going to jump around the list a little bit. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Stealing and lying. Well, actually, these two both prohibit the same kind of behavior. Dishonesty, stealing, and lying. So you don't need two of them. Instead, you combine them and you call it, thou shalt not be dishonest. And suddenly, you're down to five. And as long as we're combining, I have two others that belong together. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Once again, these two prohibit the same kind of behavior. In this case, marital infidelity. The difference is coveting takes place in the mind. And I don't think you should outlaw fantasizing about someone else's wife. Otherwise, what's a guy going to think about when he's waxing his carrot? <laughs> but... But marital fidelity is a good idea, so we're going to keep the idea and call this one, Thou shalt not be unfaithful. And suddenly, we're down to four. But when you think about it, honesty and fidelity are really part of the same overall value. So in truth, you could combine the two honesty commandments with the two fidelity commandments and give them simpler language, positive language instead of negative, and call the whole thing, Thou shalt always be honest and faithful, and we're down to three. Thou shalt, thou shalt, they're going away, they're going away fast. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. This one is just plain fucking stupid. <laughs> Coveting your neighbor's goods is what keeps the economy going. <laughs> Am I right? Your neighbor gets a vibrator that plays Oh Come All Ye Faithful. <laughs> you want to get one too. Coveting creates jobs, leave it alone. You throw out coveting and you're down to two now, the big honesty and fidelity commandment, and the one we haven't talked about yet, thou shalt not kill, murder, the fifth commandment. But when you think about it, <laughs> when you think about it, religion has never really had a big problem with murder. Not really. More people have been killed in the name of God than for any other reason. All you have to do, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. All you have to do is look at Northern Ireland, the Middle East, Kashmir, the Inquisition, the Crusades, and the World Trade Center to see how seriously the religious folks take thou shalt not kill. The more devout they are, the more they see murder as being negotiable. It's negotiable. You know? It depends. It depends. It depends on who's doing the killing and who's getting killed. So, with all of this in mind, I leave you with my revised list of the two commandments. <laughs> thou shalt always be honest and faithful to the provider of thy nookie. <laughs> and thou shalt try real hard not to kill anyone. Unless, of course, they pray to a different invisible man from the one you pray to. <laughs> two is all you need. Moses could have carried him down the hill in his fucking pocket. 
And if they had a list like that, I wouldn't mind those folks in Alabama putting it up on the courthouse wall. As long as they included one additional commandment, thou shalt keep thy religion to thyself. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. Thanks for coming in here, I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. That's the end.